want to pray that God bless us. Father, I come before you. I thank you that, Lord, in you, Lord, there is hope and there is peace and there is joy. And I pray for those that are challenged today, that are struggling, maybe, um, Lord, with um, with the challenges of, uh, you know, the the quarantines and the virus and the just, Lord, the topsy-turvy kind of uh, way things are right now. It seems like so much is just upside down. And, uh, Lord, people challenge with their, their workplace and whether they're working or not working. And, Lord, we lift up those that are, Lord, they've just been in the house too long. And, uh, Lord, we lift up marriages. We lift up relationships. Lord God, I pray you will bless them. This is a, a, a season of opportunity for us. And, God, I pray you would bless us. Bless us, Lord, and I'll walk with you. Bless us, Lord, to be um, the people that, Lord, you're, you've intended for us to be. In these times, we should shine. Help us to shine, Lord, I pray now, Lord, brighter than ever. And, God, I pray that, uh, Lord God, as we open your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd minister to us, that we would not get callous or hardened, but, Lord, instead, we would soften our hearts to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we got there. Jonah chapter number three. And if you want to follow along as we're studying God's word, and it just says, it, it starts off chapter three and verse one says, now. Well, the now is because of all kinds of things that's happened prior to it. We've, the, the last couple of weeks, talked about Jonah was a prophet of God, called by God to go to Nineveh. He hated the Ninevites. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He wanted to, he wanted to, to stay home or he had other plans, and he didn't think it was a good idea to go to Nineveh. But he went to Nineveh anyhow, uh, uh, but not the way he thought uh, he was going to get there. He instead ran from God first, and, um, and God got a hold of him. And uh, he ends up on the shore of Nineveh, with, um, you know, smelling like throw up. And he was. He's vomited out. And um, God had prepared a fish for him just the right size for Jonah. Uh, a fish with one job, swallow Jonah and send him to his destination. And that's exactly what happened. Jonah ran from God. He had heard the word of God. God had spoken to him. But he ran from God. But God chased him down. And God will chase us down. If you run from God, God will chase you down. If you are his, if Christ is your Lord and Savior, it's kind of hard to say Lord and run from him at the same time, but people do. And at the same time, Jesus will hunt you down. God will hunt you down. He'll find you. He knows where you are. He will bring you back. There might be a lot of pain in the doing. There might be a lot of pain in the process, but he will bring you back. And he's going to get you to where he wants you to go. And so the, the journey might not be pleasant if you decide to go your own way, but you'll get there. And God will get you. And, and uh, the story of Jonah is our story. It's, it's the story that all of us have had to an extent in our life. We've at times ran from God. We've ran from God's call. We've ran from God's, you know, particular plan sometimes. We do these things. And the scripture says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. 
And I love that. It says the second time because God spoke the first time in chapter one, told him to do the same thing. Now it comes to him the second time. Listen, folks, we need to learn to hear from God. It is so important that we listen to God. We hear from God. We have to we have to be people who have our ears attuned to the voice of God. And that's what a believer is supposed to do. My sheep hear hear my voice, Jesus said. So if we are, in fact, God's sheep, we should be listening for his voice when he speaks. The problem is a lot of us don't know how to do that. And uh, you have to learn to hear God's voice. It's a process of learning to hear God's voice. You know, um, I have watched uh, the, the joy of grandchildren growing up, and I talk about them way too much, but here we go again. And each time, you know, they, they start that process. I, it's always amazing to watch them as they're learning the process of speaking and hearing. Actually, they learn to hear and understand things before they actually start to speak the things. But they repeat. It's very interesting to watch how their brain works and functions. And you're trying to communicate to them. And they're trying to communicate back to you. And they're lear learning to hear what you say, right? And so kind of the first thing they learn is no. That's the first word they hear. You know, they, they kind of understand that, but they ignore it at times. So it's just this process that they go through. We do the same thing with God. We're listening for the voice of God, and we're trying to learn to hear God's voice as he speaks to us. And here's what you have to do. And I'm just going to give you some quick, three quick ones. First thing is you need to make space in your life for God. You have to make space in your life to hear God. You, um, we, we are so busy oftentimes, and, um, and a lot of people just think like, well, you know, how do these people, we read the Bible, we hear people hearing from God audibly. That is a rare occasion. The majority of the time, the voice of God didn't come audibly, out loud. They heard it in their soul and their spirit, that still small voice like Elijah heard. That still small voice, you have to listen for the still small voice of God. And then you have to be able to identify that still small voice when it is God. And the only way you can do that is that you spend time with God. You make space in your day for God. Every day you make space in your day for God. Whether you're a morning person, an evening person, you choose when to do that. But what works best for you has to be something that you will do, that you actually do spend time with God. Then you have to, second of all, disengage and unclutter your mind. Disengage and unclutter your mind. We live in a generation of noise. I mean, we don't get away from noise. You think about the generations prior to us. When they, you know, very, you know it, it took years before they even had a radio and then a TV. And so noise was not a, a big deal. There was a lot of quiet time to listen to God and so forth. Today, we bring our noise with us. They go, it goes with us wherever we go. We have the headsets on, and we have the music going, and you know we've got the car radios, and it doesn't matter. We can travel. We don't even have to have anything stationary. Wherever we are, noise is, and sometimes we actually get in the habit of listening to noise, and we've gotta, we want to hear something all the time. Quietness is difficult for us sometimes because we have been trained to listen to noise and our mind doesn't know where to go. And sometimes it scares us when we actually think. 
And so God wants us to hear him, and it's hard to hear him over the noise. Some of the noise we're hearing right now is just much too much news, right? The news is on, and there's always something new coming, and we listen for hours and hours on the news. We go on the Internet and listen to more and so forth, and we don't have just the quietness that it takes to discern the voice of God. And we have to unclutter our, our, our heads, our minds. We have to disengage for a season or a time to listen to God, to hear God. We have to do that regularly. And then thirdly, we need to prayerfully read your Bible. You need to prayerfully. I say prayerfully because we're not reading the Bible just for information. Information is helpful but it's not the end. We're not learn it's not about information, it's about revelation. We want to hear from God as we're reading God's word. We want him to reveal truth to us, to reveal the scriptures to us, to reveal insight into our lives. We need that from God and the only way we're going to get that is if the Holy Spirit helps us. And he wants to help us. That's what he does. So we prayerfully Read God's word every day. Someone said if you read God's word every day, you'll never, ba- you'll never backslide more than 24 hours. And I believe there's something to that if you're reading it prayerfully. If you're engaging with God while you're reading the Bible, you're studying God's word. And uh, so the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, and then, and then uh, arise, go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is not where he wanted to be, but but God wanted to give Jonah a second chance. And here's point one. I'm just going to give you three points about that I'm pulling out of this text in chapter number three. Number one is God specializes in second chances, but not second plans. I want to say that again. God specializes in second chances, but not second plans. God didn't go to Jonah. Okay, Jonah, you didn't want to go to Nineveh. Now that you're kind of repenting a little bit here and you're willing to do what I want you to do, let's see if we have another, another job for you. Or maybe what we have is a different kind of ministry. Maybe being the prophet thing isn't really good for you, and I don't think you probably are you know, a very good evangel- I mean, uh, missionary. I mean, you're not willing to go in places. So maybe we'll come up with something else. And so, but God doesn't do that. He doesn't have a plan B. He still has plan A. So he gives second chances, but his plan still remains the same. This is our story. His story is our story. I'm, I'm, I, I'm the prodigal myself. I've gone through this in my own life where I've made, made decisions. I've backed up from following God wholeheartedly. But God gives second chances and third chances and fourth chances. See, God gives mulligans. I love that about God. He gives mulligans. If you've done any golfing, you know what a mulligan is. In fact, you love mulligans if you get them. I like it when I get a mulligan. I'm not so happy when somebody else does. But I love it when I get mulligans, you see. And a mulligan is just this. You, you make a bad, bad shot, you get a do-over. And so you get to say, do another shot. And when I play, uh, oftentimes, not always, but some of the guys will often go, okay, you get two, two mulligans for a round of golf. So one in the fr- front nine and another in the back nine. So you can choose one back shot to take over again. God gives mulligans on every shot. You know, we, if we make a mulligan, we can come back and do it again. 
God will give us a chance to do it again. Now, we get behind. We get further behind. It takes us longer to get where we're supposed to go. But we're, we, God keeps giving us opportunities. Now, the great men and women of God in the scriptures understood this about God. They didn't take advantage of it, but they understood it. Moses and David, it wasn't that they took advantage of God's second chances, but when they needed it, they understood that God was a forgiver and God would give them a chance. And they could get back on, on track and, and follow the Lord. I remember this, um, this elderly man had come to our church. He got saved, and, and, uh, and he had come to see me, and he, he had tears in his eyes. And he, he said, he says, uh, Rick, he said, I, you know, when I was young, I felt the call of God on my heart. I sa- he said, I, I felt like God had called me to be a pastor. He says, and I ran from God. And I've lived my whole life now, and, you know, and uh, at this age and at this season, he says, I, I know that, you know, I'll never, you know, I wasted it. I didn't do it. And that'll never happen. And I says, don't ever say that. Says, That's not true. Now, God might not have the same thing, but his plan for you hasn't changed. I says, you, you probably, you know, at this season probably won't be the pastor of a church. You probably won't get in front of a congregation and, you know, and, and teach or minister that way. But you never can stop, never have to stop being a pastor. If God called to be a pastor, then pastor. I'm, because pastoring isn't about somebody being in front of a congregation and preaching. A pastor isn't somebody that just has a title. A pastor is someone who pastors. And if you pastor people, if you care for people, if you, if you uh, engage and love on people, if you, if you become a shepherd to them and minister to them, the, and God will put people in your life to pastor, to shepherd, to help, to encourage. God will put those people in your life. And you can, in fact, pastor without being titled pastor. See, because God hasn't quit on you. His life changed that day. And he actually started that process. And he, until he went to be with Jesus, he was, he was doing exactly that. He was ministering to people and loving on people and feeling the joy of fulfilling his calling in God. Because God doesn't have a plan B. Verse 2, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach, to the, preach the message that I tell you. And here's the second point that I pull from here, is God's providence doesn't depend on your preference. I'm going to say that again. God's providence doesn't depend on your preference. Jonah doesn't get to tell God what he wants to do. You see? God doesn't really, it's really not about that. Because here's the point. If God, if, if we all got to choose our calling, most of the missionaries in the world would be in Hawaii. Right? We'd be on the shores of the North Shore and we'd have our, you know, we, we'd, we would have our flip-flops on and we would be enjoying the the. The Hawaiian Islands. And we would, you know, why? Because the Hawaiians have to be evangelized, right? They do. 
We know that's true. And there are some, there are some good churches in Hawaii. I know uh, I have several pastor friends that are there, and they're suffering for Jesus every day. But the point is, is this. We don't get to choose. God chooses, you see. And he doesn't really care about our preferences at times. Like Jonah didn't get a chance to go, you know, Jonah didn't think. He didn't get a chance to say to God, God, um, I don't think it's a good idea to go to Nineveh. I, he didn't really go that way because it's not his choice. He, he, he can't say, you know, I, I think that's a waste of time because his call was to be obedient to God, not to evaluate what God is trying to get him to do because God knows more than he does. The man or woman of God needs to preach, as he says here, he says, preach to it the message I tell you. And we need to preach God's word. We need to listen and need the help of the Holy Spirit. God puts people in our life, and we need to communicate to them the word of God. Listen, your opinion doesn't really matter. It really doesn't. It, the truth matters. When you're preaching God's word, when you're teaching, you don't want to be telling people all about what you think it ought to be. Because we're wrong half the time. What we need is God's word. We need God's truth. And so he tells Jonah, Jonah, he didn't tell Jonah, Jonah, go out there and tell them what you think about this whole thing. No, he tells Jonah, tell them what I tell you to say. So Jonah went, verse 3, and uh, to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So he rose and went to Nineveh. And Jonah, but, but he went because Jonah had a small revival in his own heart. Well, I shouldn't say in his own heart, in the belly of the fish. <laughs> That's where he had it. He had it in the belly of the fish. In the belly of fish, he had a small revival. And, and the outcome was obedience to God. That was his small revival. And actually, that's the only revival in the book of Jonah. There's not an another revival. And I, you, hear, you hear preachers preach, and that, you know, Jonah, um, the story of Jonah is about the greatest revival in history. No, it wasn't. There was only actually one person revived. The other pe people were saved. They were rescued, but they weren't revived. See, you can't be revived if you weren't vibed in the first place, okay? You have to revival. I mean, in the strictest sense of the word, revival is, is some, it's coming back to where you were. You were alive in Christ, and then you come back to that point of being alive in Christ. Evangelism, and the reason why we so oftentimes equate the two, revival and evangelism, in the strictest sense of the word of revival, that is the believer coming to full surrender to God again when they had fallen back from that. And the reason we equate it with evangelism because when the church gets fully revived, Evangelism is a byproduct of revival. It isn't revival. It's the byproduct of revival. The church comes alive and starts saying yes to Jesus. And we start saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Want me to go to Nineveh? I'm on my way. And then when the church starts to, to respond to God like that, that's revival. And when the church 
gets that. And sometimes there's a move of God that brings that to pass in one fell swoop. A nation can come to a place of revival where the, 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 the believers are revived because God moves upon the people. Sometimes there are things like what's happening now where there's, there's um, catastrophe and there's difficulties and, and, uh, and pandemics and things like that that are going on and people begin to turn toward God because they realize how much they need God at these points. And when people, when Christians start to turn toward God, when they actually start to turn toward God, God then responds by anointing what they share and anointing the word of God, and then people respond to it with salvation. That's how God operates. So Jonah began to enter the city, it says. Well, it says, now Jonah uh, was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, there's not much grace in this message. You don't hear him say, listen, if you repent, God will help you. And and God will, if you turn to God, God will rescue you. There's none of that. The only word he got was, Nineveh, I'm here to tell you, you're going to die. You're all going to die. So die (laughs) basically that's what's going on he's not asking them to repent he's not telling about anything else you're going to die in 40 days now we know god had an ulterior motive because there's actually no reason to tell them they're going to die if he's going to kill them then he just kill them you don't need to tell them if there's no place for repentance if there's no opportunity then you don't tell them ahead of time you're going to die, you just kill them. But God sent a prophet to them to give them an opportunity. And they had no, they had no idea that, you know, the, the, what, you know at, at least from his message, had, there was nothing said about them repenting. It was basically over. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You're going to all die. Verse 5 says, so, so the people of Nineveh believed God. What did they believe? Well, they, they believed that what Jonah was saying was true. That was the word of God. Jonah was giving the word of God. They believed the word of God. This word believe is the same one where the Bible says that Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. This belief is not just mental assent. It's when someone says, do you believe in me? You know, when someone says that, a friend says, do you believe in me? They're asking, do you trust me? You know, it's kind of Aladdin. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? That's That's what that belief is. And it's, do I trust God? And they're trusting. What are they trusting? That what God said is true. They're all going to die. And, and their response. Now, listen. Their response is the right response, and I'll get to why and how they got there in a minute. But the point is that they fully trusted what God said was true. And it makes you, it makes you think. I, I was thinking of the story of uh, Paul and King Agrippa. If you remember Paul, he was uh, brought before King Agrippa to share 
you know, and he shared his testimony. He said, he told him about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when he told him about the resurrection of Jesus, he was telling them, he was telling King Agrippa that he could be saved and that he believed the prophets. And King Agrippa's interesting response to Paul was this, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. I think there are a lot of almost persuade me people. There, there are a lot of people who are almost persuaded. There's going to be a lot of people in hell that were almost persuaded to become a Christian. They, they would get to the point, but they wouldn't totally commit themselves to Christ. They'd get to the point, but they wouldn't surrender. They wouldn't put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They heard the message. They, some of them at church. Some of them went to church. Uh, they lived, you know, they, they, they went to church regularly. They heard the message regularly. But they never took that step of faith to trust God fully and become a sold-out believer for Jesus Christ. They never did that. They almost believed. There's a lot of people like that. They almost believe. They almost go take that step. They almost go that far. They even call themselves Christians, but they've never put their trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus even talks about those. He says, those that will say to me, Lord, Lord, you know, and haven't we done all these things in your name? And he says, I never knew you. Because, because there was never, ever that trust in the Lord. They never took that step. There was different reasons. You know, let, let, me, let me give you an example. I'm going to ask some folks online here, maybe here. If you're an adult and you claim to be a Christian and you have not been baptized in water, you have not been baptized in water, you need to question, am I almost a Christian? See, baptism in water doesn't make you a Christian, but if you're a Christian, you will get baptized in water. Why? Because Jesus said so. And, and so we have a lot of, there are a lot of people, I, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, I think. I'm a Christian. I, I, I believe in God. But you have not put your trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and surrendered to him. And there's going to be way too many people. They're going to be shocked because they thought they were close enough. And you're not a Christian because your family's a Christian. You're not a Christian because your parents are Christian. You're not a Christian be because your uncle was a pastor or something. You're a Christian because you have had a personal decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You have, you have trusted your future and life on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the only way. They... This group believed what they knew. They didn't know everything, but they believed. They actually knew more than what is actually being, I believe, taught by Jonah. The word, it says, the word of the Lord came to the king Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Now, this guy is humbling himself. This is a king. We could have more leaders like that. And he caused it to, to, to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the, the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, he says. 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way from the violence that is in his hands. Now, how did he know? The, the only thing we think he, the only thing that we see he heard was Nineveh is going to be destroyed by God in 40 days. God's going to destroy Nineveh. Now, how did he know to respond like that? He, he, they worship all kinds of gods. How did he know that to, to, to humble himself, to turn from evil, to turn from their violence? How did he know to do that? He had gods that they believed, in fact, empowered them for their violence and their evil. Where'd that come from? Let me, t- let me tell you what I believe. I believe, in fact, I think I'm, I, I can be pretty confident in this. I can be pretty confident that there were two other messengers that came to Nineveh before Jonah did. Let me tell you what, what, what I know. The first one is the message that God brought through his creation. Through, the, through his creation, all the Ninevites, every single one of them, could look out and see the creation of God and know what the book of Romans says, where it says that, that, that creation itself is a testimony of God, that there is a God. That which is visible was made by that which is invisible. And it's obvious that that's the case. And and to deny it is to, to deny logic and common sense all around. There are those today that I believe they know in their heart that there's a God, but they refuse to believe in him because there's accountability uh, uh, required of them. And folks, those who arrogantly say there is no God and that we are just a, a, a product of time and chance, you know, there are just there there are smart people who absolutely believe that God created this that this universe in seven days. Like the Bible says, that God created really smart people, scientists. There are really smart people, scientists, that believe this all happened over billions of years and it just and it's and, and we just happen to show up uh, in this process by chance. They're a bolt. But when you believe simply that this happened by chance, it, it goes against some logic that we do know. Everyone here that drove your car, right? You drove your car here. If someone, when you went to go buy your car, when you went to purchase that thing, you didn't go to the salesman and the salesman you say, well, where did this car come from? Let's say you bought a, a used car. You say, where did this car come from? And they say, well, you know, we found it in the desert. And in the desert, we, um, we just assume that, you know, with, for hundreds and maybe thousands, maybe millions of years, with the, the, the sun and the sand blowing and the rain and all of that, that over time, um, it created this car that we found in the desert. So we took it, and now we're selling it. And you would go, no, you stole this thing, didn't you? You, 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 you would not believe it. Why? It goes all, it goes no common sense. When you look at creation and all that, the intricacies of creation, just a human body, 
hold a baby in your hand. And honestly, time and chance produce that? Really? The human mind? Time and chance produce that? I believe you have to go against common sense to do that. And you have to put God, as the Bible says in chapter 1 of Romans, you have to put God aside. You darken your heart. You have to put God aside. That you think this all happened without God and his intervention. So they had that message. And if they might have suppressed it, they had other gods. But somewhere along the line, they were in, the, in deep down, there must be a God. But they had another testimony. I believe that was the Hebrews. The, the Jews. See, they had, they had gone in on raids on many occasions. In fact, for 70 years, the, Jonah's whole life, his nation was under the oppression of the Assyrians. And so the Ninevites, who were the Assyrians, were part of the, you know, where it's a city of Assyria, they would raid the Israelites. And then periodically, there was a travel from Nineveh to to, to where the Jews were, but they would come in and they would raid cities. Sometimes they would take captive um, people, women, and uh, make slaves out of them sometimes. Um, but they did a lot of killing and they stole. They stole the stuff. Well, they had interaction with the Hebrews. And somewhere along the line, they saw the Hebrews and the way the Hebrews operated and the Hebrews God. And it changed, or at least it would have been in the back of their mind about the Hebrew God. Now there's a Hebrew prophet coming and preaching. It reminds me of what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter says this in verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, I want you to hear this because some of you are right in the midst of this kind of situation. You're, in a, you're work, at a workplace and they are already calling you evil because you're Christian. Because you hold certain standards biblically. And they're, they're already uh, you know, attacking, there's persecution coming, there's verbal persecution, what have you, is coming your way. And they're not open to the gospel. You're trying to share. They're not open. Listen, what, listen again what Peter says. He says, you conduct yourself honorable among them, even though they're not believers, even though they're evildoers, and even though they, they, they call you evildoer. They, this is the reason. By your good works, they, which they observe, because they're watching you, They'll glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, the day of visitation is not when Jesus returns. The day of visitation is when God visits them in that way that, that the, the, their, their soul or their heart is touched by God. Remember when Jesus came on the day of visitation into Jerusalem. It was an opportune time for them to come to follow Christ, but they rejected him. They're, those people that you're praying for, those people that you're working with, those people in your family or what have you, that your, your testimony brings them to a place when they are in that place of visitation that they say, I remember. 
I, their, their heart has been touched because they remember you. And they've been touched by God. And that they will glorify God in the day of their visitation because you lived your life in such a way that when God touches them eventually and God grabs a hold of them and God ministers to them, that they'll be ready because you have made a testimony that they can't forget. I believe that's what's happened here in Nineveh. Somehow they've been touched by the God of the Hebrews, and when the message comes out, there's somewhat of a, um, a hope in them that possibly God would forgive them because the only message they heard was they're going to die. And their response, and, and you listen to the words in verse 9 of the response of the king of Nineveh. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Who knows? You see that in several locations, right, where Jonathan takes his armor bearer and goes up and says, who knows if God, you know, maybe God will be with us. We'll go fight. Maybe God will be with us. This is that hopeful Maybe God will relent. Maybe God will, will forgive. Maybe God will do it because they're not absolutely sure about it. That kind of hopeful anticipation is a good place to be. I, I think when Christians sometimes just think, you know, God's going to reward me because I'm repenting. As if God owes us something. You know, I, I'll just, I, I've heard Christians say this as they've been willfully in, in unrepentant sin, ongoing sin. And as they're doing it, and they say, well, God will forgive me. Like, like God kind of is, um, is a slot machine or something. I mean, just put, put the dime in. He'll forgive you, you know. You just, I'll, I'll repent. He'll forgive me. And that's not what's happening with these guys. These guys are truly broken about their sin they're heartbroken they're sad before god and that repentance that that turns the heart of god toward them god you know it's not like god's waiting for you you repent i'm going to give you a treat you know they're under judgment rightfully but god is gracious and the scripture says, and then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. <coughs> you know, God will say like he did here, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And when he says that, God always has, he always has the right to then relent from that, not do it, if we repent. But what God is telling us is not a lie. He's not telling us something that isn't true. What he's telling us is if he doesn't intervene, this is what's going to happen. That if God doesn't break in, this is what's going to happen because this is the course that you are on. And, and now I, I think of some of the prophecies that have come you know, our way when it comes to our, our country. I've heard people say, you know, God's going to judge America. 
you know, was it Billy Graham who said, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. He said that quite a few years ago. Saying, if, you know, if, if God doesn't judge us for the wickedness that we've allowed in our country, and you say, well, but we're a good country. I believe that. And I, I believe we're the best nation in the world. I believe that. I believe we're, we've got, We've got more, more opportunity and possibility than any nation in the world. I believe that. There's good things. We have reached more. We have sent out more missionaries in the last, in the last um, century than any other country. We've, we've supported missionaries. We've done good things. We've also killed over seven, 70 million unborn babies. We've also become a, a nation of debauchery and sinful sexual perversion of every kind we've had all of these things and i believe that listen god doesn't have to judge america if we just continue down this road we'd, we'd bring destruction to ourselves we're, we're we're on a destructive course for our nation that's that's where we're headed if god doesn't intervene what naturally will take place is destruction even if god doesn't intervene and say i'm done with it but those, even those prophecies, even those words, are words without the possibility of God's intervention. And I believe God does intervene. He has many times in this nation. Whenever we've fallen on our knees as a country, and we've been in some pretty dire places in our country in the past, whenever we've fallen on our knees and prayed, whenever there has been the church realizing the importance of repentance and calling upon God, God has answered. We can go through the history of revival in our nation. Our nation's been in some pretty dire places, and we are now. And I believe God even has allowed this that is happening in our nation right now. All that's taking place in our nation as is, is in fact, uh, it's, it's the storm. It's a storm in Jonah's, in, in Jonah's story. The storm is here, and we, we, you know, we need to be rested. We need the, we need the big fish that, that at the point in which we then respond to God and we repent. And that is happening in places around our country. Christians are, in fact, saying, God, forgive us. God, help us. We're praying more, and we're seeking God more, but the, the whole church isn't. And there are a lot of there are a lot of people still trying to cruise in this thing and thinking there's nothing to worry about, there's nothing coming, but I want to tell you I don't believe that. I believe Jesus is coming soon, and I think there's going to be all kinds of changes happening, right? I believe that, absolutely. But what happens to us as a nation is going to be determined not by the unbeliever. It's by, the, it's by those that need revival. It's by those who have been vibed, who, have been, who are believers, who have walked away and ran from God and who are now sitting in a place of comfort when God is saying, I want you to go to Nineveh. And some of, some of us just need to hear the voice of God and respond. Yes, Lord. Say, what does that mean for me? Well, you're going to have to determine that with you and God. What is God saying to you? If, 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 if that's the case for you, if it isn't the case for you, you're already repenting. You're already repenting not maybe for yourself. If you're, you've been following the Lord wholeheartedly, you're repenting for our country. You're asking God to forgive us and to cleanse us. You're praying fervently. 
for God to have mercy on this nation. You're praying that God will revive this the, the body of Christ and the church will rise up and be the church that it's meant to be. You're, you're praying. You're praying against this this evil virus that has come upon this nation. You're praying against the dissension and the hatred. You're praying because you're already involved. You're already engaged with God. And if you're not, what is God wanting you to do? God is calling us. <coughs> and so here's the last thing. Give God a chance to do a miracle by your obedience. Give God a chance to do a miracle by your obedience. It's just that simple. Now, Jonah was an unwilling missionary. And we're going to find out. God's going to change his heart. His heart is wrong, but God will use even the obedient, even if you're not in it. Right? All of you know that. If you've been a parent, you know that. You know this You know this all, all too well, don't you? If you're a parent, you've done this with your kids. You'll say, hey, go do this. You know, go clean your room. And, and you'll get sometimes, this is what you hope you get. This, you would be like so happy and you'd just be amazed if you got this. Oh, I can't wait. Thank you for reminding me to clean my room. I'm so happy. I, I know that's the best thing for me to have my room kept clean and the discipline and responsibility of doing that. Thank you, Mom, or thank you, Dad, for, for reminding me to do that. That's what you would love to hear, but you don't hear that. You hear this, oh, why do I have to clean my room now? Why? You know, or if, if you don't even get any lip from it. You just get, you know the attitude is, I don't want to clean my room. But you still would rather that they go, even with a bad attitude, you like a good attitude, but even with a bad attitude, just clean, as long as they clean your room. You clean the room, at least that's better than, no, I'm not cleaning my room. Now you got something to deal with, right? God does that with us. He'd like a good attitude. Go to Nineveh. Okay, Lord, I don't really like those folks, but I'm going to go and do what you ask me because I know it's the best thing, right? But instead... We get eaten by fish and thrown up on the shore. We don't want to go, but we go. And when we go, God still works. But it takes longer when you do it that way, that process. What God is looking for is he wants a full transformation of our heart in obedience to him. And he's going to make that happen. That's what next week is all about. Well, let's pray. Father, I thank you. And, Lord, that we can come before you and trust you. And, Lord, I pray for anyone here, here or in the, in the sound of my voice, and, Lord, those that are watching right now through, um, through the media, Lord, I just pray. I pray for them, pray for anyone that is maybe almost a Christian. It's time for you. Almost is not good enough. Almost will not get you there. There are a lot of people right now in eternity that are away from God. And they, because they were almost a Christian. Don't let that be you. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. Don't wait any longer. You humble yourself before God. And you ask God. You simply pray a simple prayer, but mean it with your heart, 
Say, dear God, I believe that I am a sinner. I have failed you. I have gone my own way. But I want your forgiveness. And I repent. I ask God that you help me. I turn from my, my ways that are contrary to your will. And I say yes to you. I put my trust in the work that you did, Jesus, on the cross when you died for me and you were buried and you rose again. And, Lord, I ask you to cleanse my soul and help me to follow you. From now on, I choose you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. I'm going to... um, we're going to have communion. If some of you received the communion already, um, they're passing out um, some, the, the communion, and I, I got, I'm good. And if you would like to take it with us, just quickly, I want to I want to bring us to the cross, best place to be, safest place as a follower of Jesus. Take us to the cross. That's what Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed. He told us, I want you to go to the cross regularly. What I mean by that is we're reminded of what Jesus did there. And uh, it was there that Jesus, on that last meal with his disciples, at least uh, before, before the cross, He went and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. As we um, take this bread, this unleavened bread that represents the sinless life of Jesus. As we, his body that was beaten for us and pierced for us. We're reminded of the sacrifice that he made and also that by his stripes, in his atonement, by his stripes, you were healed. This is where you come when you're sick and your need of healing. This is where you come when you have a friend or loved one that needs healing. I got to make mention of this because I think there's some people doing this right now. As a young father, one of my children was very, very sick. And I would have taken their place any time, as most parents would do. You know that you would. You would, you know, Lord, you can, you know, make me sick and heal them. I'll take their place. And I was about to say that, and I got abruptly confronted by the Holy Spirit. For one, I knew this, and it was just, it wasn't what was said at that point, but I knew that my my daughter was not sick because God made her sick. So that was an accusation against God that was improper. But the second thing was, and the idea that I could take her place when he already had was just it was discounting the great work that he had accomplished. Like, I could do that. 
and it was wrong. And the devil was actually the one tempting me to do that. See, okay, you just take it. Then I can kill you and take out your daughter. <laughs> he has plans. If we don't understand the truth of the scripture. And it was then that I repented and said, Lord, you've already done that. So I plead for her healing based upon your accomplishment, not upon me. I'm not righteous enough to do that. I'm not pure enough to take her spot. You already did. And so when we take this bread, we're reminded of the purity of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And if you're needing health, you take it in faith. And if you know someone that needs health, you pray it in faith of what was accomplished by Jesus. We receive, Lord, in Jesus' name. That night he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the New Testament of my blood. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, thank you for the blood that you shed for me. Thank you for the blood that covers us from all of our sin and does more than that. It cleanses us. We receive God. We receive in thankfulness that your blood has already cleansed us in Jesus' name. Amen.
my victories in Jesus' name. My victories in Jesus' name. My victories in Jesus' name. No other name, no other name. Amen, amen. Well, God bless you, church. We're going to dismiss you at this time. We'll stay up here worshiping for another minute or two. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you all Wednesday night for Bible study. My victories in Jesus' name. My victories in Jesus' name. My victories in Jesus' name. victories in Jesus' name. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. This is how I fight my battles.